0: Our loving Father, we are grateful. We thank you so much for the privilege to come back together as a family, to study your wonderful words of life. We thank you for the privilege to allow you to speak to our heart. I pray that you might make your words plain to us. We ask for the forgiveness of our sins. We ask for your Holy Spirit, for he truly is the only effectual teacher of truth. And may he come and minister to our hearts and open our eyes Help us behold wondrous things out of your word. This is our prayer that we do ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, yesterday we were talking about abiding in Christ in conflict and adversity. But what we did was we divided that because there are many areas that we run into conflict and adversity and are called to abide in Christ. And so what we did was we talked about abiding in Christ in conflict and adversity in ministry. The first thing we learned yesterday was that we are all called to be ministers. We all have a ministry, and I cannot emphasize that enough. We have to get to a place to say, Lord, you brought me in this faith for a reason, And it was certainly not to just sit back and relax and observe and to be a spectator. But God called you to be a participant. And so as a result of that, we all have been called into some type of ministry, some level of a quote-unquote personal ministry. And the first area of conflict and adversity that we as God's disciples will face is the conflict with self. The Bible says, if any man will come after me, let him do what? Deny himself and do what else? Take up his cross. How often do we do that? David. Daily. Remember that? Luke nine twenty three. Daily. Daily. You don't take a break from denying self. And so we learned that throughout our journey, we're going to run into situations where we're going to come across things that we don't want to do and we don't want to embrace. And when you embrace that cross, what did we learn to do? What did Jesus teach us in Hebrews 12? I'm I'm reviewing with us. What did Jesus teach us in Hebrews 12? That when you run into those things that are like a cross and we have to bear it, it is something that appears very bad, very difficult, but we know that in the end it's going to produce what? It's going to produce joy. Remember that? Jesus said it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, despising the shame. Now, You'll remember that that means practically for us that when there are certain things in life that God calls us to, we must not have one type of vision, but we have to have another type of vision. Who remembers the types of vision we talked about? You cannot have just what? Micro vision, but you have to have macro, macro vision. You got to be able to look beyond. You have to see what is the end result of me doing this. And when you see that the end result of me doing this, God is glorified. Man is edified, you are blessed. When that takes place, we can say that it's worth going through even this thing that appears to be like a heavy cross upon us, knowing that God gives us strength. Now, from that, we learned also that when we come to Christ, where's the first place that our ministry is going to be established? That's going to be in the home. Isn't that right? And we learned that as we embrace Christ, whatever way we've embraced Christ, we're going to bring that into our homes. And unfortunately, a lot of times, if we have been fanatical in our embracing of Christ, we're going to bring that fanaticism where? We're going to bring that thing right into our home. And many a times that is going to create conflict and adversity. And so there was something Jesus said. What was the chief thing? That Jesus said he wanted us to learn about him. Remember that? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And what did he want us to learn? He said, for I am meek and lowly in heart. If we could learn the humility of Christ. I wish I would have learned this when I first joined the church. I just wish that that thing would have been made real plain to me to say, Dwayne, this is the focus. The humility of Christ will produce commandment keepers. The, the humility of Christ will produce the best health reformers. The humility, I mean, if, if we have the humility of Christ, every other blessing is going to fall right in place. Amen. It is that wicked thing called pride that constantly gets in the way. And that prohibits us from doing the very clear things that God has called us to do. And by the way, if you ever have a burden upon your life that is so heavy that it feels like it's almost crushing you. I have something to tell you. And it is a 100% fact. God did not give it to you. Wow. What do you think about that? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your soul. He says, for my yoke is, and my burden is. So wait a minute, if you're taking on a burden that's so heavy that you feel it's crushing you, I can assure you Christ did not give you that burden. His burdens are light. His burdens are that which we can bear through his strength. And so whenever you got there, and I'm very serious about this, because there's a lot of burden bearers in this room, especially in ministry. Those of us who are in ministry, we are burden bearers, hands down, guaranteed. But the reality is, is that God says, listen, I never called you to take on these burdens. And it seems like it's crushing you to the point we can almost see it on your face. Jesus says, I didn't give you that burden. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And that's what he said, take from me. And so there are a lot of burden bearers, and I'm very serious about that. That's why when I was at Heartland, and I did that, uh, that message called, when, when You Have Nothing Else. And we talked about how a lot of us as burden bearers take on more than we can handle. And God has not called us to do that. In fact, um, I think this is so worthy of reading. Letter 3B, 1881. I'll just, I just want to read this to you. It's a beautiful point here. Let me just go ahead and pull that up. You know, again, I told you, when you got electronics, use it for the glory of God, right? Amen. So I always make these nice notes in my phone. And uh, I want you to, to listen to this. Um, I thought to myself, this is just so powerful. Letter 3B, 1881. It says, when one poor mortal will try to stand under heavy burdens as though he must carry them or everything perish. Do you know how many gospel workers are stricken with this disease? Especially when you run an institute, especially when you run a a self-supporting ministry. When you run ministries, there's a time and place that the devil's going to tell you if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. And we will literally adopt that mindset. And it will do something. I want you to listen to this. It says, when one poor mortal will try to stand under heavy burdens as though he must carry them or everything perish. It says he will be crushed under them and find after all, God did not want him to make himself the burden bearer. But when we lay these burdens upon Jesus, now watch this practical counsel. And then do what, watch this word, do what little. Do what what? Little. It says, and do what little we can in his strength and not feel that everything depends on us. We can keep serenity of mind, calmness of spirit and shall be in a condition to do much more Effective service. Amen. If you are taking on a burden that is so heavy that you feel it's crushing you, there's one guarantee I can give you. God did not give you that burden. And so we learned that Christ says, take on my humility. You see, part of the humility of Christ is trust. That is a natural fruit that comes from that precious vine is trust. Jesus didn't let it crush him because he knew, I trust my father. I trust what he has promised. I trust that what I'm going to do, I'm going to do right now. And then we're going to have more to do tomorrow. Nine times out of 10, most gospel workers are violating the laws of health in the name of Jesus and righteousness. And then we get mad when they get sick. And even if they die, we then go ahead and question God's law. We question his integrity. We question his laws of health. God's laws of health are perfectly fine. The problem is is that we as gospel workers take on burdens that God never gave us. And there is a such thing as cause to effect. And if you overwork yourself and if you overburden your body and if you overtax your system and if you burn out your vital force, then you can't be mad when suddenly you get hit with some neurological disease, you get hit with some cardiac disease, or even cancer and the list goes on. God is trying to say... Even some of our hard work is indicative of lack of trust. Isn't that deep? Even some of our hard work is indicative of lack of trust. And so when I say the yoke of Christ and learning of him and learning that humility, oh man, we need to learn that because that has to be introduced in our home. Because what we don't want is we don't want another one of us to be produced in our home. My wife and I were having breakfast with a couple this morning, and we were talking about that. My wife and I, we were laughing at each other, and we were talking about how different we are, how my wife is so incredibly different from me, and then how I am so incredibly different from her. And then as we were talking about how different we are from each other, we got to this point where we said, can you imagine? I looked at my wife, and I said, can you imagine if you was another me? (laughs) And my wife was like, no, no, no. Can you imagine if you were another me? And I said, and I just started thinking, I said, a female version of (laughs) Dwayne. And my wife was like, a male version of Alexandra. And we both were just like, literally, we got caught up in it that we forgot the couple that we were talking to. And we was like, can you imagine what that would be like? And we was like, oh, it'd be terrible. And I mean, we just totally forgot. Because we're just, you know, the world doesn't need another Dwayne Lemon. I guarantee you that. One is enough. God wants us to understand that in our home, that's going to be our first ministry. And sometimes if we embrace fanatical positions, if we are, what's those three things that define a fanatic that we study? Overzealous, unbalanced, unsanctified. Remember that? Prophet of God made it clear. That is fanaticism. Overzealous, unbalanced, unsanctified. We got to guard against those things. How does God tell us to guard it? Embrace the humility of Christ. Stick to the word. Be patient when there are times where your home is not up to the light that maybe has come to you. But eventually, we get to a phase of ministry where we're gonna leave the home and we're gonna touch some people's lives. And so I wanna go ahead and talk a little bit about conflict and adversity that can come in public ministry. And then, how can God help us to know and understand how to abide in Christ? You see, go to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3. There's another way that adversity and conflict can come to the people of God. And I want you to see it in the book of 2 Timothy. We're going to chapter 3, and we're going to consider verse 12. And the Bible says in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3, And verse 12. And when you get there, just let me know by saying amen. 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 And the Bible spells it out very nicely. It says, and all. How many? All All who live how? Godly Godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer suffer Persecution. persecution. That's another way of saying conflict. That's another way of saying adversity. You see, conflict and adversity can come because of fanaticism. That is when we bring it on ourselves. As a result of being overzealous, unbalanced, and unsanctified, we go ahead and try to present the gospel, and we mess up the picture. And I've met many people that will be fanatical in their positions, go through suffering, and then have the nerve to pound their chest and say, see that? I'm going through suffering for Jesus. And it's like, well, you brought that suffering on yourself because you were holding on to fanatical positions. And so that's why that thing has to be checked. But there are times that as a result of living godly, and being 100% faithful to the Lord, the Bible says you'll still suffer persecution. You will still face conflict. You will still go through battles. You remember we put this up here. We talked about abiding in Christ. That I may know him. It says, abiding in Christ means a living, earnest, refreshing faith. That works by love and purifies the soul. That's Galatians 5 and verse 6, if you want a Bible verse to connect to that. That statement comes from Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. A faith that works by love and purifies the soul. When we abide in Christ, this is the fruit that should come out of it, okay? Now, to take it just a little bit step further, go back to Isaiah 26. You'll remember that the theme of abiding is throughout Scripture, and I want you to see what God says. God doesn't want us to just come unto Him, but He wants us to stay in Him. Isaiah 26 spells it out pretty nice. When we go to Isaiah 26, notice what the Bible says as we consider verse 3. In Isaiah 26 and verse 3, the Bible says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is... Peace. Now the word stay, that is synonymous to abiding. When you think about your humble abode, you think about a place that you stay, a place that you live. You don't just visit it. That's where you live. God says, that's what I want you and I to have. I want you to abide in me. When Jesus talks about being in us, he's not talking about a ghost-like figure that fits all the way in our body perfectly Amen. like a glove. Amen. What he's talking about is I need you to have my mind. I want you to think the way I think. I want you to reason the way I reason. I want you to decide the way I would decide. And so the Bible says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is abiding in me. That's what God wants. Your mind is at all times fixed on him. You live, move, and have your being by the principle of what would Jesus do in this situation? In every area and every phase of yours in my life, this is our focus. Now, again... Abiding in Christ means a living, earnest, refreshing faith that works by love and purifies the soul. Now, look at what it says next. It says it means a what? Constant, constant receiving of the spirit of Christ, a life of unreserved surrender to his service. If you don't know what surrender is, pick up that little book, Steps to Christ. Go back to page 47 and 48 under the chapter consecration. It asks the question, many are inquiring, how shall I make the surrender of myself to Christ? It goes through all the problems. You desire to serve him, but you're weak in moral power in slavery to doubt and in the habits of a life of sin. It goes through all those steps, but then it gets to the solution, which we studied yesterday. The solution is you can choose to serve him. It says that wonderful power that God has given to you and to me, the power of decision or of choice. It says everything. Now, how much more is everything? Can you fit anything else into everything? Everything is as big and broad as it gets. It says everything depends on the right action of the will. It says the power of choice, I love this statement, the power of choice God has given to men. It doesn't originate with us. God says, I gave it to you. But at the same time, God says, now I want you to exercise it. You understand that? It's called the one beautiful word that I believe sums up righteousness by faith. One word. Cooperation. Cooperation. God says, I gave you the power, but now I want you to exercise it in my strength. But he won't exercise it for you. You must do that. And so when it talks about the surrender of the life, it's talking about making a decision that my life is no longer mine. You now call the shots on how I eat, how I drink, how I dress, what I'm going to entertain in my thoughts, how I'm going to live, who I marry, where I move, what kind of occupation do I acquire? God has complete total rulership over the life. It is no longer just appreciating him as a savior, but now you're also accepting him as a Lord. He's the ruler. He's the one that calls the shots. You don't call the shots anymore. It's taking, as it were, a blank sheet, giving it to God and say, rewrite the plan of my life. And you got to understand family. Sounds great in a sermon, but it's very deep in its practicality. Some of us in this room, perhaps even right now, are doing things that God says, I did not call you to that. I did not call you to that. That's your plan. That was not my plan. And what that means is that sometimes you got to sit back, you got to think about it, you got to pray, you got to let the Lord talk to you. I firmly believe that God will speak to you. Desire of Ages 668 says God will speak his mysteries to you personally. I didn't even realize how much God can speak. Do you know, and I'm going to talk about this tomorrow, do you know that when I was going through this crisis, I'm going to talk about that crisis, When I was going through this crisis, I remember times that I was sitting in a hotel, out of my mind. I'm gonna talk about it. Your brother that's standing before you literally lost his mind. You would never imagine it. Dwayne Lemon lost his mind. And I'm gonna tell you about it tomorrow. And I remember I was in a hotel room and and all these thoughts of death were constantly dominating my thoughts. Constantly, you're gonna die. You're gonna die. I remember, I thought it was God's voice. In other words, Satan was so subtle and so slick that he actually got me to believe that his voice was God's voice. And so, and if you read Steps to Christ, page 116, paragraph 2, that's his job. It literally says, he exalts when he can convince us that God means to do us harm by his providences. He actually loves it. So watch this. So I'm in the room, I'm going through this drama, and next thing you know, this thing is hitting me. And I'm like, oh, Lord. And I'm thinking that God is telling me, you're going to die. You're going to die. I'm so displeased with you. I'm going to punish you. You're going to die. And I remember that I just said, Lord, please. Please. Give me a word of encouragement. Because I was down. And there were five witnesses who watched it all. My wife and my four children the drama that this family has gone through. And I remember with my head bowed down and at the point of despair, this voice comes to my heart and says this. You wanna know what I think? As clear as you can hear my voice. You wanna know what I think? And in desperation, I said, yes. And the only thing that came back, Jeremiah 29, 11. Mm, And then, next thing you know, it says, these are the thoughts that I think towards you. Mm. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. And to give you, Dwayne, an expected end. God was teaching me, you can't listen to every voice that speaks to your head. You must learn how to let the word of God even cast down your imaginations. And so it is that when I went through that, I had a dream. I had a dream, and this dream was so deep. The dream was myself, and I was wearing a dark suit, and I looked very happy. And I was standing before a crowd of people. And as I was standing before the crowd of people, I was proclaiming the word of God. But there was somebody very special that was standing to my left. It was my wife. She was standing next to me a few feet distance. And she was with me proclaiming the word of God to other people. She had a beige colored Like vest or or jacket kind of thing, black skirt, and her typical usual gorgeous self. And I remember that I was looking at her, and she was looking at me, was like, yeah, da da da, and doing this stuff. And then next thing you know, I just come out the dream. The voice was telling me, "You're gonna die. You'll never preach again." Because at this time, I didn't preach anymore because I was shortly out of my surgery. I lied to you not. Fast forward. A year and change later, this program comes up talking about love and the family and all these things. And it was an invitation for me to speak in Maryland in the month of April that just passed this year. And I lied to you not. I remember that we're going up there and we're dealing with family and they said, can you and Sister Lemon present? Wow. And so I'm just like, sure, you know, whatever. Not making any connection. And I remember when my wife and I got up there, I was standing to the right. She was standing to the left. She had on the beige-colored jacket and that skirt. And I said, Jesus. I mean, that thing just brought me to tears. God will speak his mysteries to you personally he will tell you what to do he will show you this is my plan for you wow. and so my brothers and sisters what i'm just saying is is that god wants you and i to understand that he's madly in love with us and he's called us to do an incredible and powerful work but in doing that incredible and powerful work there are going to be times that god is going to make it plain listen as a result of following me, you're gonna run into conflict. And one of the areas that I believe we definitely gonna run into conflict a lot of times is when we especially embrace a ministry that is now a public ministry and we go forward. And this is why I'm reminding us, I'm walking us through this thing. You gotta understand, Jesus says constantly. Abiding in him means a constant receiving of the spirit of Christ, a life of unreserved surrender to his service. It also says where this union exists, good works will appear. Remember that? Good works will appear. Then it says, the life of the vine will manifest itself in fragrant fruit on the branches. The continual supply of the grace of Christ will bless you and make you a blessing till you can say with Paul, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Now, my brothers and sisters, the reality is this. You cannot be a soldier and not expect warfare. We went to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let's turn back there again. Look at it again. 2 Timothy, we're going to look again at chapter 2. Remember that? We looked at it yesterday. 2 Timothy chapter 2. When you join the family of God, you have been enlisted in the Lord's military team. You can call it the spiritual army, spiritual navy, spiritual air force, spiritual marines. You can call it whatever you want. But bottom line is it's military. We are the church militant. And so it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, you remember, it said in verse 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good what of Jesus Christ? A good soldier, a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth and himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. God wants you to understand, if you're a soldier, then you must understand, you sooner or later will run into warfare. Jesus wanted us to understand this picture from the jump. Have you ever thought about it right at the time? Look at Matthew chapter 10, right at the time that Christ brings the disciples into ministry. Notice his counsels to them. I almost thought it was kind of strange. You know, I naturally thought in my mind, hey, Jesus, isn't that a little too early to drop that bomb? But apparently it was not because he was the master teacher and he certainly didn't make any mistakes in his counsel. But look at what it says in Matthew 10. Jesus, according to verse 1, Matthew 10 and verse 1, it says, "...and when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease." And now the names of the twelve apostles are these, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, etc. So he names the twelve disciples. He just brought them in the fold, just brought them on the team. And here it is that in a short period of time, after he brings them in, inaugurates them into the faith and into the message, lo and behold, Jesus gives them a very, very straight statement. It's found in, again, Matthew 10. But notice what it says now as we look at verse, and we can go ahead and start at eight. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely if you receive, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet stays, for the workman is worthy of his meat. And into whatsoever city or town you shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy. And there abide till you go thence. And when you come into a house, and if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return unto you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Now you would think, all right, that's not too scary a counsel. I'm going to send you forth. Don't bring all these provisions. God will take care of you. The workman is worthy of his meat. And then he says... You're going to run into some people where they're going to let you in their homes, but you're going to run into some other people that's not going to let you in their homes. If they don't let you in the homes, just wipe the dust off your feet. Keep it moving. God says in the appropriate time, I will bring judgment upon those who have rejected me. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me. Now, you would think, okay, that's good enough counsel. But then Jesus starts to drop a bomb in verse 16. He then says in verse 16, behold. I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves, but beware of men for they will deliver you up to the councils and they will scourge you in their synagogues and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. Why? For it is not ye that speak, but the spirit of your father, which speaketh in you. So now he's dropping a little bit deeper counsel. He's he's saying, listen, I need you to understand that I am sending you as sheep in the midst of wolves. I'm letting you know that some of you will be brought up to councils. Some of you will be brought up before the legal system. Some of you will be brought before your own brethren. It says they will persecute you in the synagogues. So Jesus is laying it out before them. And then he says, after he gives them this startling statement, he makes it even more startling. And what does he say next? He then says in verse 21, and the brother shall deliver up the brother to death and the father, the child and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated Of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Jesus was in the beginning of their ministerial work saying, you're going to run into conflict. As you get ready to go out of your homes and do your public ministry, you are going to run into conflict. You're going to run into adversity. What Jesus was saying is not to look for it and love it, but he's saying, don't be surprised by it. Behold, I told you these things before they come to pass, so that when they come to pass, you might believe. And so Christ makes it clear that as we do ministry, again, not in a fanatical way. We're talking about balanced ministry, not unbalanced. We're talking about sanctified ministry, not unsanctified. We're talking about a zeal that is born of God and not that which is overzealous and born of men. Even when you do the work right. Totally right. Even when your tone, your body language, and your words are a demonstration of perfection. Jesus says, some people will even go to a point that they'll hate what you're doing so much they'll even try to kill you if possible. And if they don't try to kill your body, they'll try to kill your reputation. They'll try to destroy your ministry. I have a lot of war stories. God had to keep me blind to this thing. If God would have done with me like Jesus did with those disciples, I probably would have said, Really? I'll be back. And it never showed back up. (laughs) Because I'd have been like, I didn't join this. When I joined this, I expected everybody to believe as I believed, I expected everybody to be as excited as I was excited. I mean, when I learned about anything that I was doing wrong, if my attitude was wrong, my dress was wrong, the way I'm eating, is, anything, I'd be like, okay, um, what should I do? I'm coming straight out the world. I was at church on Sabbath, and I laughed. Somebody said something funny, and I was like, ah, 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 and I mean, I'm cracking up because it was funny. And this lady came to me. It was a predominantly West Indian church. Lady came to me. She's like, young man, you're not supposed to laugh like that on the Sabbath. And I was just like, you're not supposed to laugh on the Sabbath. So the Sabbath is so I'm not supposed to. Okay. And you know what I I didn't do is be like, sister, that is a fanatical position. I mean, Jesus had joy. I didn't know the word like that. So all I said was, okay, no laughing on the Sabbath. I mean, that's how just teachable I was. I mean, I was a sponge. I was ready to absorb whatever you gave me. And so when she said, no laughing on the Sabbath, it was like, all right, no laughing on the Sabbath. And that was it. Thank God I got some balance very quickly, because I came to my elders. I had a big problem. Everything I believe, I teach. Amen. And everything I believe, I will go to you and hold you accountable to it. Yeah. So literally, I would go to the elders when I saw them laughing. I'm like, Elders. I'm the newly baptized guy. These guys are my mentors. And I'm like, Elders, listen, listen. We can't play games. Time is almost finished. You know, it's like and I'm just literally like, we shouldn't be laughing. This is not the time for life. Let's wait till sunset. We can laugh all we want. And literally, and oh man, I called Elder James, Elder Montout, and Elder Morgan. I called them knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And Elder James was understanding. And he was always the guy that would be like, really? Okay. So where'd you get that from? I said, sister, so-and-so told me that we're not supposed to be laughing on the Sabbath. Okay. And Elder James would always say, let's go to the Bible. And he would, he would just walk me through the text. And I was like, so, we can laugh on Sabbath? Yeah. Whew, man, I gotta tell you, bro, that was kinda hard. You know, now I'm letting it out, like, that was hard. The point is, is that, again, you come in with a zeal. And sometimes, yes, it could be fanatical, but then there's times that your zeal is not fanatical. Everything you're doing is literally right, but people are coming after you. And when you start doing public ministry, you're expecting everybody to be on board. You immediately start saying, hey, why are we doing this?" I remember driving with an elder. We're in the car. Girl was walking down the road. She had on very tight jeans and they were shorts and a portion of a backside was coming out of the jeans. So in my mind, coming from the world, I'm like, naturally, I want to look. Keep looking. Probably engage some conversation naturally. But I'm a Christian now, so I'm not going to look. So I'm in the car and I'm like, oh boy, that, she's right there. But next thing you know, I hear, psst, psst. And so I'm in the passenger seat and I look to him and he's going, psst, to the girl, trying to get her attention, elder. And I remember I looked at him, I said, I know, and this is a true story, I said, I know you're doing that to get her attention To help her have Bible studies, right? (laughs) And he was like, yeah, I'm going to give her Bible studies, all right. That was his response. That was a conflict. That challenged me. And I was immediately thinking to myself, but you're an elder. You're not supposed to be doing that, man. What are you doing? I started seeing inconsistencies very early in my Adventist faith. And the inconsistency was not just through the other young people in the church like me. It was through elders. It was through deacons. It was through pastors. I started seeing this thing, and that thing hit me like a ton of bricks. But the Lord helped me get past all of that, but now you go into public ministry. And my brothers and sisters, you must understand, when you go forward in public ministry, there are going to be times that again, in all honesty, when I started getting quote-unquote invitations, that guy right there in the back, that's my boy, that's my buddy, that's my brother, Brother Peter Chung. And we met, I mean, Peter, we've known each other a for like, what, 12 years, 12, to almost 13 years. And when we first met, camp meeting, that's why I had the privilege of meeting my brother right here, Brother Waller, became a mentor to me. Some of y'all didn't know that. He was a teacher. He embraced me. And here it is that as I, you know, was talking with Brother Peter, he had the Final Generation website. And we started talking and next thing you know, somehow, you know, he he knew that I preached. And one of my sermons gets on his website and a lot of people started listening to it. That's how this whole public ministry thing really got started. I mean, I was going from church to church here and there, but things really got out of control once we went on the Final Generation website. Because now it was like a lot of people were listening. And he would say, oh, they're, they're, these people are listening. And I'm like, really? Really? Like, really? You know, because in my mind, this was not something I was shooting for. I was just happy to share the stuff that I'm learning. You understand what I'm saying? That was it. There was no other goal behind it. There was never a goal of one day I'm going to do ministry. I'm going to quit my job. And I, That was not my story. I was happy at my job. I was making incredible money. So I was like, I'm good. I'm at my job. I'm doing Bible studies with pretty much the whole entire staff. I'm fine. But here it is. People start listening and people start making requests. Hey, can you come here? Can you come here? And then when FYI, Florida Youth Initiative, when they called me and then they had me come do something on the sanctuary in Florida. And when I did that and the guy comes up with the same exact box and he comes up with this box, puts it on my hip. I was like, what is this? We're an organization called Audioverse. I said, i never heard of you guys. Next thing you know, boom, I preach the sermon, it goes up on audio verse, the rest is history. Next thing you know, I got people calling me sounding strange. They don't even sound like Americans. And they're like, can you come to our island or to our country? And I'm just like, are you serious? Is this a joke? <laughs> you know, it's like you, you, everything went very fast. So, I'm being launched into public ministry. And now, all of a sudden, I'm hearing names of people that I watched. It was like hip-hop all over again. You know what I mean? I was the kid that just loved hip-hop because I just loved hip-hop. And then I'm watching the people on the videos and loving their videos. And the next thing you know, it went from that to I'm dancing with them in the videos. And it was kind of like, how did that happen? Same thing. So I'm listening to preachers on the internet or whatever, and I'm watching them. Now, all of a sudden, you get invited places, and you're working with them. It happened very fast. And so in my mind, I'm kind of like, wow. Okay, so I put these ministers on very high pedestals. What happens... When you're excited about working with ministers and ministries and you're thinking, we all genuinely want to finish the work. And then you start having private conversations and you start talking and you start seeing things that are completely different from what you're reading from the Bible. What you're reading from the spirit of prophecy or what was presented on the pulpit that was powerful was now being demonstrated differently off the pulpit. I'm not gonna lie to you, it hit me hard. It hit me so hard and I was like, I thought we were all wanting the same thing. I thought we all wanted to really do this. And then when you go and you say, brother or sister, isn't this our focus? Shouldn't this be our-? well, you see, and, and all these other things. And this is when Jesus says, Behold, I told you before it came to pass, so that when it comes to pass, you might believe. You see, when you start doing public ministry, you're going to find that a lot of times not everyone is on the same page. And you need to be okay with that. You must not allow that to give you an occasion for judging. You must not allow that to give you an occasion to do comparison. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. You'll remember in 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, uh, the Bible says something very important here. 2 Corinthians, we're looking at the 10th chapter, and God warns us about these things. In 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, the Bible says right there in verse 12, It says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. This is the occasion of self-exaltation. When you compare yourself with other ministries, when you compare yourself with other ministers... When you see ministers or ministries do something that you know is not in harmony with Scripture and you know that you are doing something that is in harmony with Scripture, all of these are occasions for self-exaltation. They're all opportunities to say, well, it looks like I have a deeper understanding than you have. It looks like I have a deeper commitment than you have. And as a result of that, we begin comparing ourselves among ourselves, and we find ourselves in these moments of deep adversity. We're like, Lord, how do I deal with these folks now that I am pretty much prepared to call them hypocrites? This is a real conflict that happens in ministry, especially if you're doing public ministry. It can happen so easily. There's always a little voice. And this is why we're told in volume one of the testimonies to the church, page 474. Never, never compliment a minister to his face. The reason that God tells us don't do that is because the devil's already doing it. He's already complimenting us. He's already flattering us. He's already saying... S-W-Y-C will be like no other of the YCs. This is what the devil does. The devil will always try to poke at you to give some occasion for you to say we're doing it better than everybody else. We are the ones that got it right. And let's say you actually are doing it better than everybody else. Let's say you are doing better. Let's say you're actually doing it better. Like sometimes we say we're doing better, but we're not doing better. Well, that's just called deception. You deceive. Think you're all right when you're all wrong. But no. But what if you're actually doing it right? Let's say you're doing it right. What's the position that God says? Let's go back to Philippians 2. In Philippians, the second chapter, I love this chapter. This chapter is loaded with so much powerful, practical counsel. It's about the life of Christ. Remember that? Constant spirit of Christ. The spirit of Christ is constantly being manifested. We're asking for more of that spirit, more of the life of Jesus being manifested in me. Well, look at Philippians 2. I like starting from verse 1. Look at what the Bible says. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ... If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any bowels of mercy fulfill, walk in accordance with my joy, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Now watch this, but in what of mind? Okay, so notice that in lowliness of mind, what are we to do? esteem each other better than ourselves now it doesn't mean that the people are better than you you might actually have certain skill sets abilities or what have you that actually is better than what they do but the bible says even so esteem them as if they are better than you then it says watch this Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Super incredible selflessness. It is self-abasement, not self-exaltation. Now watch this. Paul says, just in case the brethren are not getting it, let me really help them understand what I'm trying to say. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Literally, verses 1 to 4 was the mind of Christ. That's what verses 1 to 4 was. So all of that, esteeming others and doing this and treating others better than than you would deserve to be treated, giving unto others, preferring others before you, etc. He said, all of that is the mind of Christ. So Jesus knows what it is. To go ahead and do ministry knowing I'm doing ministry so much better than perhaps all the other people around me. But he did not allow that to become an occasion to lift himself up and to put them down. He said, I will serve the insufficient servants that they might become better servants. Come on, man. Listen, this is the mind of God. (laughs) Do you see this? This is so incredibly contrary to how we function. This thing is deep and so Jesus says that's who I am that's how I function that's how I minister when I see people that do it deficiently when they cannot do it the way I do it Jesus says I don't make this thing an occasion for me to say let me exalt myself based on their weakness Jesus says got to serve them even more Amen. and he goes even lower That's why Peter felt so dirty, man. And Peter's like, listen, thank God for the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God was pricking at Peter's heart. Yes, Peter was hard-headed. But the Spirit of God was tugging at him, trying to get him to see. And so when Jesus comes and he's ready to wash his feet, Peter's like, I'm not going to let you wash my feet. He understands a little bit. I mean, I'm better than them, but I'm not better than you. Like, for real, that's what he did. Remember when he said, all these may forsake you, but I won't forsake you. You remember that? Peter had an issue. (laughs) All them. But he knew better, at least with Jesus. You know, he did try to correct Jesus one time, you know, Matthew 16. And that's when Jesus had to get thee behind me, Satan. But the key is is that Peter, he said, "I, I can't let you serve me and wash my dirty feet. And Jesus gladly did it. It wasn't a routine. It was not a formality. When Christ is abiding in the heart, And when you are around ministers in public ministry that are not doing it as right, maybe as God has shown you, I'm giving room for that. Maybe you do have some things right over other people. The question is, what did Jesus do when he ministered better than other people around him and could have given a thousand Bible verses to back up his actions? What he did was he came lower. He served more. Because he said, "If God opened my eyes to see your deficiencies, then that means that He's called me to help your deficiency." Wow! Wow! wow. Mercy. Wow. Wow. This is deep. I'm telling you, behold the man. And this is what Christ is trying to say, is when you see the conflicts in ministry, you see conflicting views, you see conflicting characters, when you see conflicting behavior. That is not the opportunity to fall into a realm of judgment, to cast off and cast away, to treat people as if their probation has already closed. That's not the occasion. I'm not learning that from Jesus. Jesus says, serve more. Come lower. Help them. If God gives a man discernment to see a weakness, it is so that he can help them. So if you see a ministry that's not doing it right, hey guys, I think I can help. Would you allow me to help? I really want to help. That should be the attitude. Not nobody is doing medical missionary work right. Nobody is doing the blueprint schools right. Nobody is doing the sanitarium work right. These sweeping generalities that we constantly say, nobody's doing it right. Everybody's messed up. Hey, but we're getting ready to start a school. Hey, but we're getting ready to start a sanitarium. Hey, but we're getting ready to start. Whatever it is you're getting ready to start. Stop supporting them. Start supporting us. Because nobody got it right like how we got it. You really think that that's (sighs) this. People really think that that's God. And so they see weaknesses and they withdraw. And help the one that appears to be strong. But truly is weak. This is the atmosphere of Adventism right now. But Jesus says, sure, you're going to see conflict in ministry. Sure, you're going to have battles. And God allows those battles for another purpose. Write this down. Messages to Young People, page 117. Powerful quote. I've learned to memorize it. It's a very, very good quote. And you would do well to consider it. When you run into conflicts in ministry, please make no mistake about it. This statement holds to be true. I am quoting, the trials of life are God's workmen, showing us the roughness and impurity of our own characters, End quote. Let me repeat that. The trials of life are God's workmen. Showing unto us the roughness and impurity of our own characters. God often will allow conflicts to take place in public ministry to help you and to help me see those rough, impure spots that still remain in our characters. Messages to young people, page 117. So sometimes God says, that's why I allowed it. I mean, there's so many quotes, there's so many verses I can give you. I mean, when you think about Amos 9, and God says he's going to shake the house of Israel, right? God shook the house of Israel by allowing the enemy to come in and allowed them to go into captivity, right? God said he's going to shake his people in the last days, didn't he? And when God said he was going to shake his people in the last days, well, how's he going to do it? You know how he's going to do it? He's going to let the enemy come in. Volume 5 of the Testimonies to the Church, page 707. Inspiration says very clearly, God will arouse his people. What does it mean to arouse? Wake Wake them up. It says God will arouse his people. It says if other means fail, heresies will come in amongst his people. And these heresies will sift his people. Shake them. Somebody says, how have these deadly heresies come into church? God says, I allowed it. What, you got a problem with that? God says, I allowed it. Now, do you know the difference between allow and ordain? Did God ordain heresies to come in? Did God allow it? Do you see the difference? You see, God... All he wanted to do was arouse us. He just wanted us to wake up from our sleep and slumber. But do you know what God did? God knew. He said the people loved to sleep and love to slumber so much. He said if other means fail, you know one means that God used to arouse us? Righteousness by faith. God wanted that thing to wake us up. 1888, had we woken up and stayed awake, we wouldn't have even been born, many of us. Where it could have got finished. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. But the lovely image of Jesus, that precious sacrifice, it seemed it wasn't enough. So the other means failed. So you know what God said? I'm going to let heresies come in. Because you know what's funny? Think about this in your own experience. Some of us have never been so sharp on certain Bible points until a heresy came your way. <laughs> right or wrong. Some of us have not become so sharp and so strong on what the Bible teaches on the third person of the Godhead right, right. until a heresy had to come in. And now that heresy came in and everybody's trying to teach all these other strange things, all of a sudden, some of us are masters at teaching the third person of the Godhead now. Some of us got that thing locked. We are like, nope, ah, the Bible says it. Nope, the Bible says prophet. Some of us are so incredibly intelligent on who the third person of the Godhead is, what it is, the very nature of the Holy Spirit. Some of us can break it down. But what did it take to motivate you to do such an in-depth study? It was heresy. So you know what God says? Mission accomplished. They're awake. You get it? Purpose of the shaking. What is the purpose of this whole shaking? I'll leave you with this quote. These type of statements right here, This is why I stand with the organized body of Seventh-day Adventists. This is why I stand with it. People can say what they want, they can twist around all the quotations all they want. When I look at the history, one of the greatest blessings you all can do is study the history of this movement. All the drama we went through just to get where we are. And when you see people today doing a lot of stuff, all they're doing is repeating history. Now watch this. We're told, and I want you to look at this statement, this is a very powerful statement. Second Spiritual Gifts, page 284. Listen what it says. Just as long as God has a church, he will have those who will cry aloud and spare not, who will be his instruments to reprove selfishness and sins and will not shun to declare the whole counsel of God, whether men will hear or forbear. I saw. That individuals would rise up against the plain testimonies. It does not suit their natural feelings. They would choose to have smooth things spoken unto them and have peace cried in their ears. I view the church in a more dangerous condition than they ever have been. Now, listen, this is not talking about some pure, holy, super sanctified, no issue church. This is not talking about a church that's enfeebled, defective, in need of reproof and warning. Here's what it says. It says, I view the church in a more dangerous condition than they have ever been. Experimental religion is known but by a few. The shaking must soon take place too. Now, if God's message is to go out and establish all these independent churches, then what is the purpose of the shaking? The purpose of the shaking Think about it. It was the organized body of Israel that was shaken. It's the organized body of Seventh-day Adventists that's being shaken. The purpose of the shaking is not to disintegrate it. It's to purify it. So I respectfully disagree with anyone that would try to say we need more independent churches to deal with the issue of what's going on in God's church. God says, listen, I'm ahead of all of y'all. I was ahead of y'all before y'all were born. God says, I'm going to shake up my church. God says, I'm going to shake it up. I'm going to put it through a mass sifting. But the goal is that the church will go from church militant to church triumphant, yay, a pure church. That's what God's going to do. And so what we need to do is we need to be on board with God's plan and not to try to create our own. God is making it very clear to us, family. There's going to be conflict in ministry, especially when it becomes public ministry, no doubt about it. I have a whole lot more to say. We have a four hour class, five days a week, just on church history. And when you go through that thing step by step, you start from the church in heaven, the church on earth, The church through the Jewish dispensation, the church through the Christian dispensation, the church going through the period of darkness, the church coming out of darkness, the remnant being established of the issues coming into the remnant church and how God is going to fix it in the end. And what I'm saying is, is that when you carefully go through all of these steps, there's a lot of movements that we see taking place today that don't match. The blueprint. And what I'm saying to you is very clear. God says, listen, I told you these things were going to come. And I told you they were going to hit you hard. Jesus said you'll go through all sorts of persecutions. You'll have people stab you in the back. You have all sorts of things that are happening. I'm serious. I, I, I could tell you vicious stories. Vicious stories. How men, I, I marvel at it personally. People in responsible positions. They shake your hand and say, brother, praise the Lord. Thanks for the message and literally will go right behind the pulpit and get the other team together and say, don't ever bring that guy back here ever again. (laughs) And it's kind of like, man, how's that happen? The problem is, is when the guy went in the back and said that, don't ever bring that guy, Lemon back here again. He didn't know one of my teammates was part of that council. (laughs) He didn't know that there was a Nicodemus on the team. And literally the Nicodemus came back to me and said, Dwayne, these guys don't want you here. And you know when I had to see that brother the next day? I saw that brother the next day, and I said, Praise the Lord, man. How you doing? Just give him even a, a tighter squeeze. <laughs> were it not that we're living in a questionable age, I would have kissed him on his cheek. <laughs> gotta learn how to gather warmth from other people's coldness. You know, these were lessons hard to learn. Don't get me wrong. I'm not Superman. I'm really not. It's like, but these are lessons you start learning as you're growing. In grace, that that constant communion with Christ, the 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 Spirit of God abiding within and helping you to respond to conflict and adversity like Jesus would. My family, this is a snippet of a much longer counsel that could be given, and I sure would love to do some Q and A and stuff like that. I don't know. If I I have total freedom in my next session, I might just do that. I might just give you like a little small something and then go ahead, just shoot your questions. You know, whether it goes on audio verse or not, I'm okay. It's just let's talk a little bit, because I think a lot's being dropped on us. Between yesterday, we talked about the individual conflict, adversity. We talked about conflict and adversity in the home. We're now talking about conflict and adversity sometimes in public ministry. I think that these are things that we need to address. And it's not good to just keep speaking. I think there comes a time you got to pause. Do we understand the study today, just now? Do we understand that? Do you understand that sometimes, yes, these things will happen. We'll see inconsistencies. We will find ourselves in conflict, maybe with others, on standards and views. But God has already told us these things are coming to pass. But the better part is he's shown us how to deal with it. And we're just going through some simple steps on how to deal with it. Is that all right? Praise God. So let's go ahead and let's have a word of prayer. We'll take a five-minute break, and then after that, we'll come back. I'm going to introduce a very simple thought to us. Let's see if we can entertain some questions from the saints, because I think we really need to know when we leave this mountain, especially those of us in ministry, what are some things practically that we can do? Brother Andre and I, I know for sure, and I'm sure there's others, but we've been through some things, okay? And we'll give you what God has given to us. Uh, Brother Peter, you know, I know you're in the back, but it might be something if you wanted to come up front. You know, we've been in ministry for a long time and we have faced and dealt with a lot of things. And God has given some awesome victory. And from that now we have a testimony. So maybe that's what we can do in our next session. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the wonderful blessing that you tell us these things before they come to pass, so that when they come to pass, we might believe. And Lord, we need Jesus in our hearts because you already told us, even when we do everything right, it's rare, but even when it does happen, you're showing us, Lord, that we must respond like Christ did when we run into conflict. I pray that this little gem, I know there's much more, but Father, I pray that if we could just learn his meekness, learn his humility, and allow it to be reflected in those moments of conflict and adversity, even in public ministry, my hope and my prayer is that we will be the better for it, that we will glorify you, that we'll edify our fellow man, and that we will be blessed. This is our prayer that we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse